Planet Football with John Bradley, Premier League, European and International. This is Planet Football on City Talk 105.9. Good evening, just gone five o'clock across Merseyside. I am John Bradley. This is your guide to what's happening in football in Europe, in the world, and of course, mainly outside our shores. But there is only one place really that we want to start tonight because it was the biggest game in, in European football, in world football. It took place last night. And who better to talk about it with than our expert on all things European football? Good evening, Robert. Good evening, John. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? What have you been up to? Um, what have I been doing? Apart from watching lots and lots of football. That's it. That's all I've been doing. I think yeah, I've, very I've, little I've done, the same. I've done the same. It's been, uh, it's been obscene lately. I, I saw a piece that you've done on Zenit St. Petersburg on the UEFA website, which is an outstanding piece with Luciano Spalletti, the uh, coach of Zenit St. Petersburg, and you just seem to get everywhere at the moment. I'm a busy man, John. I'm a busy man. <laughs> That's why you're our expert. Um, yeah, exactly. Might as well start with what happened last night at the Etihad, shall we? Oh, Chelsea were good, weren't they? Exceptional and fully deserved um, the win, in my view. Um I think it is interesting that the narrative has been completely taken on by uh, Mourinho. But he likes doing this. He likes absorbing the pressure. He likes absorbing the questions and actually keeping it away from his players. You know, we've seen him do this for years and years. Um, I don't buy his stuff or that he sincerely believes that his team aren't title contenders this season. I think beating City like that makes it more than apparent that you are at that level. Um, but he's having a bit of fun with it, and I actually think he's been relatively entertaining over the past 24 hours, if I'm being honest. Nobody wins better than Jose Mourinho in ways of when he wins a game like that, he's not half smug, is he? Oh, he's the smuggest man on the planet when a, when a game's worked out like that. I actually think this year he's lost his sense of humour a bit that he used to have, but it's certainly back last night, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, talking about how um, someone in the post-match press conference asked him, is it a three-horse race? And he said it's a, a two-horse race with one little tiny horse that needs milk and to learn how to jump. Um, you know, I, I... Was he talking about Arsenal, though? Pardon? Was no, he's he talking, t- about, he's talking about Chelsea. Oh, he's saying that they're the little horse. He's saying they're the oh. little horse, the little horse that has spent tens of millions of pounds on players. <laughs> it's the little horse that needs Milkins learning uh, to jump and the Arsenal and Manchester City uh, are the big galloping horses heading towards the, the, the finishing line. Um, he, you know, I, I don't, even he, he can't look, he literally can't, couldn't look Jeff Shrees in the eye at times yeah. last night doing his post-match sky interview. Because I think if he did, he would laugh. Because he knows, he knows deep down, he's so shrewd. And um, I was with a mate watching the game last night, and uh, he's a Chelsea fan. And um, he said, God, he looks a bit of a state, doesn't he? You know, he had this sort of stubble, mm. and his hair was like slightly messy. He's normally pretty sharp, Mourinho. Mm. And, it, and my mate was like, I wouldn't be surprised if Mourinho did that on purpose, to make everyone think that, that he thinks stressed. he's under pressure. Yeah. yeah, that it's just another... 
he's always thinking of little things to do. Uh, he is the master of the mind game, and uh, he's also the master of um, pure tactics because they got it beyond spot on last night. It was exceptional from Chelsea. As long as he doesn't call Arsene Wenger the voyeur before they meet again. Because that one didn't well, you go never down know. Well. He might call him something far worse. <laughs> Arsenal at uh, top of the table with two weeks to go. I think that's that's where Mourinho gets old school. Mourinho, yeah. when he, you know you see him coming down the tunnel, shaking managers' hands when he's playing Stoke or or you know uh, anyone else. But as soon as it's top clubs, he still has to get all silly with it and. Uh, yeah, it's entertaining, isn't it? I don't mind it. Yeah, Ivanovic scores so many important goals for Chelsea in big games as well. And, uh, you know, he's got that spot on Ivanovic right back at Spilicueta, uh, left back. He, just those little things that Jose does. Uh, let's crack on to the reason why we are here uh, to look through what's going on in European football. Let's start with Spain. What a weekend. What a title race it's turning into. Atletico Madrid. Are top of La Liga for the first time in 18 years, my friend. They are indeed, and uh, very fitting for that to happen days after the death of Luis Aragonés, who's a, an Atletico legend, having played more than 250 league games for the club. And, of course, he, he guided uh, Spain to, to European Championship glory. Um, Atletico winning 4-0. Uh, Diego Costa on the score sheet. He had, had a little bit of a barren spell, but he, he, he got one. Um, against Real Sociedad, uh, David Villa scored. Uh, Diego's re-signed on loan for the club again. He it's found the back of the net. Amazing, that isn't it? You know, I, I mean, has he been a success anywhere? You'd say. I mean, apart from one spell at Wolfsburg, maybe. I mean, he wasn't a hitter. He did all right at Werder Bremen, didn't he? Certainly not at Milan, though, was it? Well, no, so Juve, Juve, not Milan. Sorry, Juve. I think he's still, you know. I don't think he's probably lived up to his, mm. his potential. And I think that's, you know, it's probably a bit of a shame because we know he's such a gifted player, really, you know, really talented, proper, proper number 10. Um, and I can see the logic in Atletico signing him. He knows uh, the players. He knows the club. Uh, he adds depth because they probably are, are thinner on the ground than Real Madrid and Barcelona. And they're in the Champions League this season. So... Very logical, and what better way to return to the Vicente Calderon than to score a goal, which helps their goal difference more than anything, because they've now caught up with Barcelona effectively as well. Yeah, I mean, Barcelona losing at home to Valencia 3-2. Uh, Valencia's first league win, amazingly for me, against Barcelona. You've got to bear in mind that Valencia, until the last couple of seasons, have been in the Champions League every year and, and have always challenged in the Champions League, um, but they've not beaten Barcelona in the league since 2007. Yeah, I mean, Unai Emery, um, as Valencia manager, had a particularly bad record against Barcelona, so that accounts for a, a proportion of that, that barren spell uh, without a victory. Obviously, Barcelona, full stop, don't lose that, that many games, and they have signed two of Valencia's best players in recent years when they signed Villa um, at the time, I think after the European Championships in 2008, and then they obviously took Jordi Alba, the left-back, who started his career at Barcelona away from Valencia. Ironically, Alba got sent off against Valencia at the weekend. Barcelona don't really do red cards, so that was uh, something of a rare thing, along to go with the uh, the loss itself at the, the, the Camp Nou. Where are Barcelona at now? You know, it's a, it's a few weeks till they play Manchester City. Where, where are they at? I mean, you look and the team under Guardiola... Uh, 
and you know Villanova. You knew the team week in week out. Now under Tata Martino, it's a, it's a little different the way they play. And and does he know his best eleven? I think possibly not. And that I mean the main reason is uh, there's there's two reasons I think that he doesn't quite know his best team is that Alexis Sanchez, while still not playing fundamentally the Barcelona way, he has dramatically improved, has added goals to his game, and suddenly looks like someone who is worthy of playing for a top Spanish club. So that's one thing. The second is that they have signed Neymar. So Neymar has obviously added real quality to Barcelona. He hasn't been fully fit during his, 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 his first season with the club. But they are two reasons why I think he does quite know his best front line. So, you know, hypothetically, if the Champions League final was tomorrow, I don't quite know what he'd do. I don't know if he'd know what he'd do. And the players are still learning to play a different way. There's even talk that he won't be there next season, not because the club would particularly want to kick him out, but because maybe he'd want to go uh, back home. Mm. Um, So it's a bit of an odd season for Barcelona. If they come out of it with the title and a decent run in the Champions League, it probably would be a very good one for them, in my view. I mean, that Valencia team is unrecognisable, really, from, from ones that we've seen. I mean, even even Eva Beniego has gone back to Argentina now, hasn't he? He's signed for Newell's Old Boys, and he was always seen as a player that could potentially move to, to England. But, I mean, th- th- there's no one in that team that you look at and, th- and think, ooh, he's going to be a superstar or, or he's well, got potential. I mean, there's Barragan who was at Liverpool in the academy at Anfield, isn't there, a few years ago? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, that that isn't the quality that there once was at Valencia. I mean, even last summer they had to sell Soldado because of the astronomical debts that the club had accumulated. The players that have left over the years, imagine they had kept via Silva, Soldado, Mata, They'd be one of the best teams in the world, but they just couldn't. Mm-hmm. The debt was so substantial, they've had to lose uh, players. The, the club fell out with Adil Rami as well this season, mm-hmm. so he got moved out to Milan. They just wanted him out the door. They didn't want anything to do with him, and he was probably, for me, their, their best defender. They are not the force they once were, but full credit to them for getting a, a very good win at Barcelona at the weekend. All season, we've talked about Atletico and Barcelona at the top with Real a few points adrift. They are right up there now, but but they'll kick themselves, although it was a tough game away at Bilbao at the weekend. But there's only one story from their 1-1 draw at Bilbao, and that was the red card for Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, and it wasn't a red card. Uh, player, uh, you know, Ronaldo raised his hand to an opposition player as they sort of argued on the pitch. There was I don't even know if he touched it. Player went down holding his hand. I'm not having this. Well, if you raise your arm... You know, you've got every right to be sent off. There was absolutely nothing in it. I'd hope Madrid would appeal the card. I haven't checked to see if they have appealed the card. I'd hope they would because it surely would get overturned. Ronaldo did nothing wrong. Real Madrid were incensed. And um, then, you know, you lose your best player for the final moments mm-hmm. of a big game where it's 1-1 and they, they really need a win. Uh, and they just couldn't pull it back. So, you know, you never know. Come May, that may have been a huge, huge moment. The Ronaldo could not play the the, uh, the final moments at San Mamet. Think Andy Carroll against Chico Flores and imagine 10 times more embarrassing a reaction than Chico Flores. And yeah, you, 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 you just about, you've just about got it right, haven't you? It's everything but the Busquets wink, isn't it? Or look out of the peep out of the <laughs> eyes, you know, he's rolling around on the floor. Yeah, really embarrassing. And Spanish football's littered with it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's really frustrating. 
I don't particularly know the Spanish attitude to it because they might be far more accepting of it as part of the, their footballing culture that this happens. But it really winds me up watching it. Yeah, without a shadow of that. stuff's going on. Um, Hexi Rodriguez, it was his first La Liga start, wasn't it? Got himself a goal. Yeah, full credit to him. He's, you know, he's trying to make a push to be an important squad player. Mm. You know, he plays in a wide position. You know, in the attacking line, anyway, in the in the the front three is Ancelotti has been experimenting mm. with a four three three. He's been using Di Maria in the centre a little bit. He's tried that, so there might be more opportunities for Messi um, Rodriguez. Um, and they really do need some flagship players to come through that academy and start to, to have an impact because, you know, Real Madrid just haven't been producing the goods for their own first team. They've been strengthening teams around Europe from their academy, but not their own. Um, you know, and that's why I'd hope Alvaro Morata will, will give it a go as well and try and stick it out in Madrid for a little bit longer. Yeah, of course, there was no Gareth Bale at the weekend either, was there as well? They're, they're sort of just treating him with kid gloves at the moment, but I think mainly because of the return of the Champions League in a few weeks. They didn't want to risk anything, did they? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting because I think they think he could come back or they might play him in the next game. And if Ronaldo is suspended, uh, he, he suddenly becomes all the more pivotal. And we saw it when Ronaldo was out of the team. Um, Bale was massively influential. He scored his hat-trick. He so won a hat-trick for Real Madrid when Ronaldo wasn't playing. Mm. Um and, you know, maybe a, if Ronaldo does have to serve a suspension, probably does, that he'll be able to step up a little bit. I think that they're all giving Bell the benefit of the doubt this season. He didn't have the pre-season training. That was partly down to the ridiculous scenario that had emerged with Tottenham and, uh, you know, saying he was injured and he was off on holiday and hiding away and basically being protected so he didn't get injured so the move could go through. Um, it's a weird one. I think we'll probably have to wait till next season to see the best of Gareth Bale. Yeah, I think without a shadow of a doubt. Right, we'll take a little break there. We've dealt with the big football in England last night. We've dealt with the Spanish leagues on the way. We're going to talk Germany, Italy, France, Portugal and the transfer window with a couple of funny little tales from the window as well. We'll be back in just a moment. This is Planet Football with John Bradley. City Talk 105.9. There's the latest travel to help you on your way home. Good evening. You're listening to Planet Football on City Talk 105.9 with myself, John Bradley, and with Rob Daly, our expert into all things football in this country and abroad as well. Uh, we've just been talking about Spain, Rob. We forgot to tell, tell the sender-off story, so let's just tell everyone that before we crack on with uh, what's happened in Germany. So Valencia were obviously um, over the moon as you would be to sign uh, Felipe Senderos. So they obviously wanted to tweet about it. Um, so they tweeted about uh, signing Senderos. They put a lovely picture in there of Breda Hangeland. Um, <laughs> and uh, so much to their embarrassment. I think they, they'll soon realise they've signed the wrong player. <laughs> so when he's ch- chasing Messi about, they're lucky they've just played Barcelona and didn't need him. Mm. Um, yeah, they've signed the wrong guy. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> he did look a bit like Hangeland in the picture, didn't he? Yeah, Senderos. Yeah, I, I said to other people that I, it's the most Senderossi picture of Hangeland <laughs> I've ever seen. But it's not that Senderossi that you'd make the mistake. Yeah. Um, let's crack on, mate. Germany. Now then, Bayern Munich's lead thirteen points. They gave Eintracht Frankfurt a five-nil spanking yesterday. 
just the five different scorers as well, just just sharing it around. I actually watched the game and they could have scored 25. Yeah, I saw a lot of the game as well. And um, while a lot of uh, Guardiola said it's the best performance since he took over, you know, it's exactly what he wants, clean sheet and plenty of goals. Um, Thiago touched the ball more than any player has ever done in a match before in the Bundesliga. So Thiago's now starting to look more and more Mm. important for Bayern. The revelation for me, and um, he just is, is Philip Lahm in the centre of yeah. midfield. And he, he just looks like he's played there for 15 years. He's that, good. He's he's that good he could play anywhere. Well, that's true. And, you know, he, it, I watched the game and obviously he's not going to be tested to his absolute most against Frankfurt, you know. But we think back to the game against Manchester City when he actually bossed that game for me. And... Um, the fact that Pep Guardiola picked that out and thought that's what he can do, um, much to Rafinha's delight, actually, who's now getting to play every single game at right back and got a new contract. Um, but they are just looking absolutely superb and they could go the whole season unbeaten. Played 19, <laughs> won 17, drawn 2. They will. They've only conceded nine goals. They will go the whole season unbeaten, won't they? I do have an issue. And if I was a Premier League manager... I would be just watching the situation more so than with Tony Cruz with Javi Martinez. Yeah, I think um, during the winter break in Germany, which is about five weeks, Mm. uh, they went off and played friendlies, I think in Dubai and places like this. And, um, you know, there was a bit of trialling Martinez at centre-back. And I think he's even spoken about, he's not quite sure what, uh, position going forward he's going to um, get for, for Bayern uh, thinking back to last season he was pivotal best player in the in, Champions League final best player in the Champions League final him and Schweinsteiger you know working very nicely um, and and famously Martinez was wanted by uh, Guardiola at Barcelona mm. he did want to sign him um, probably because of his uh, flexibility Guardiola likes his centre-back to be able to play the ball up from the back, as we well know. Um, and I, I'm not quite sure what the future holds for Javi Martinez now that Lam has been converted mm. into his preferred um, central midfield player. Um, I think it's an interesting one, but I do think there's going to be... Someone's going to have to go from the attacking midfield players in the summer, at least one, um, if not two. They've I, got think to fit, I think. Sorry, Paul. They, they've still got to fit Batchdubber back into the side as well, don't they? Yeah, I, I, I'm not. I wonder what Guardiola will fully think on Bad Stupor when he's had a proper good look mm. at him. My I'm not his that, biggest fan. No, I'm not either. And I said the reason I said it is I, I just think he, I think he won't fancy him particularly to play yeah. at centre back. Certainly in the first team, I don't yeah. think he actually will command a first team position under Guardiola unless there's a significant improvement because he is um, error prone. Um, which is very harsh. He is a, he is an exceptional uh, exceptional player and a little bit versatile as well. He can do a job at fullback, uh, but yeah, I don't think there will be a particularly be a spot for him when he's back. Bayer still second by Leverkusen. That is, uh, Sammy Huppi is doing a great job there. They beat Stuttgart two one at the weekend, didn't they? A result they needed. I think they'd gone four without a win or something mm. and really lost ground on on Bayern. Um, but Stefan Kiesling among the goals, he was in, had a little bit of a barren spell himself in front of goal. Um, Erin Derdjok actually got the winner six minutes time and they came from behind in that game against Stuttgart. 
Um, so that was a big result for Leverkusen because I think they were losing confidence. I don't know if they ever fully believed that they were a league title race. Um, I think everyone knew pretty early on that this was buying season. Mm. But um, they'd love to finish second. And it would say a lot if they could finish above Dortmund and Schalke because Schalke still have a far superior budget to Leverkusen. Mm. You know, Schalke still have a lot more money. Uh, and Dortmund have obviously got resources following the sale of Goethe. Um So if they can, uh, you know, Sammy Hippie, his stock's only rising in Germany at the moment. As solo manager, he was joint manager, obviously, before. Now as solo manager of Bayer Leverkusen. Interesting. Dortmund is still third. Uh, they beat Braunschweig um, 2-1. It, it was a tight game, but uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang got a couple of goals. And it's interesting, really, that he and Mkhitaryan, the two signings last summer, have done really well. But is it injuries that, that, that has cost them so dearly this season? I think inj- I don't think they would be challenging for the title if even if you know if they'd had no injuries, I don't think they'd be able to keep pace with Bayern still. But I think it has meant they are not second, mm. and they have not performed confidently in the Champions League. Is that injuries have been, you know, near crippling, especially at the back. So many players have been out for extended periods of time, and they've had to rush into the transfer market by uh, sign free agents mm. who are well past their prime to just fill spots in the squad. You know, uh, Jurgen Klopp, who we see as this happy. Um, type character on the touchline, great in interviews. He's looked particularly dejected this season. Obviously, Bayern are ripping out his best player again mm. uh, next summer. And I just wonder at what point he thinks, well, this is at the moment, for the next two or three years, this might be a battle that I simply can't win. He loves the club, um, so it would be hard for him to move away. I just wonder if someone would. Try and, uh, try and pull him away from that with something a little bit more enticing with more of a budget to work with. The player that, that everyone fell in love with in Europe last season was Ilkay Gundogan uh, and they've really missed him, haven't they? And I mean, is there any indication of, of him coming back maybe for the, for the Champions League? I think they're, they're hopeful that he will come back soon-ish, but they're, they're still... It's all been relatively vague on his actual injury status mm. and... You know, the club have even had to talk about whether they could cope if he left. You know, that they are having to play without him at the moment. And, um, you know, the club's CEO, Hans Joachim Vatska, said that the club could cope if they had to sell him because obviously Manchester United are reportedly interested. Uh, and Yuri Shahin's loan, by the way, expires at the end of this season. Mm. So, so officially, uh, I think he, he goes back to Real Madrid. And Ancelotti hasn't seen Yuri Shahin yet. It was Mourinho who loaned him out for 18 months after the failed stint at Liverpool. Um, so I don't even know what the hot future holds once Gundogan's fit again. He might be he might be um, sold in the summer. You never uh, know. Yeah, Schalke are up to fourth, um, beating Wolfsburg, one of the, the rivals for that fourth spot. Uh, Kevin Prince-Boateng scored the winner, didn't he? he? He did, and they are playing at the moment without uh, Julian Draxler, who's injured. Mm. And obviously, they... they it looked like at one point they were going to lose uh, Dracula uh, to Arsenal. Horst Heldt, the club sporting director, has come out since the end of the window and said they're from the north. I don't know why he had to be so bizarrely cryptic with it. Um, but that, that bid was from Arsenal, if one understands. Um, but so there has been a little bit of murmurings that now they could still lose Draxler. So Berteng would have to take up a lot of the attacking midfield responsibilities. 
but the Dracula could end up a Bayern. That Bayern could, because of these minimum release clauses in their contracts, Bayern can just <laughs> take these players regardless of whether the clubs want to sell them or not. Unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. Sure let's move. Let's move on to France, mate, because. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain are top. They have a five-point cushion at the moment to Monaco. Uh, they beat Sochaux pretty comfortably at the weekend, 2-0. Uh, another goal for Zlatan Ibrahimovic. And Alex scored the former Chelsea centre-back, uh, the Brazilian. And they look pretty comfortable, don't they, at the moment? Obviously, he gave Johan Cabay his, uh, his debut off the bench. Yeah, he came on Cabay. And I, I think a lot of people are confident that Cabay could fit into the way Paris Saint-Germain play pretty quickly. He isn't going to dictate the play like he did at Newcastle where everything ran through him and essentially he, he decided the rhythm of how they mm. played. Um, he's going to be a lot more just being part of the team rather than running it. Well, he, he has to learn the... to play alongside Matuidi, who, who, who's outstanding. He is, and uh, they obviously have Verratti as well. Mm. Um, I, I do wonder, it's purely speculation on my part, whether at some point Verratti will go back to Italy and Pogba will go to Paris Saint-Germain. Mm. Potentially, I mean, Verratti's labelled the new Pirlo. Pogba uh, is from Paris, I believe. So, uh, And there has been talk about those players independently of each other transferring to those respective clubs. I just or, swapping, some point, or swapping clubs, perhaps. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Mm. That's what I'm thinking, whether in the summer, I think PSG will go in for Pogba uh, and whether they'd be happy to let um, Ferrati go now because they have Kabai and Pogba could be a more dynamic player. Regardless, Kabai came on against Bordeaux at the weekend, hit the post with a header um, and, um, you know, probably a, a reasonably sensible signing from Paris Saint-Germain because he can play in the Champions League as well because he's, yeah. he's not cut tied in that. Um, the slight problem, how much did Verratti cost them? It was a hell of a lot of money and money that probably, I mean, with the greatest respect, Juve haven't got and I bet his salary as well is it, it might be a little prohibitive. I think it was part of the reason that, I mean, Verratti still to this day has not played top flight for football in Italy. Mm. Uh, he had played in Serie B and in March, the Paris Saint-Germain were willing to say, no, we, we want you, come over, etc., uh, etc. Et I think he adapted a lot more quickly than people expected. Um, but obviously, should um, Juventus, uh, should Paris Saint-Germain bid for Pogba and buy him, um, suddenly um, Juventus would have the resources to maybe go back in for Ferrati. You know, there's mutual interest there for both parties. They yeah. perhaps both want a figurehead French player at the French club and a figurehead Italian player at the Italian club. Although Pirlo's still going for Juve, isn't he? So, yeah, that's um, true. Maybe he's not needed. Uh, Monaco drew 2-2 at Lorient, for whom Jeremy Aliadiesco, remember him, uh, Valier Germain and Lavin Kozawa and Monaco appoint without Falcao still, of course, and, and without Dimitar Berbatov at the weekend. Yeah, yet to make his debut. They think that could happen next weekend. Um, and, of course, Monaco host Paris Saint-Germain at the Stade Louis de, uh, next weekend. So that's the big game. I think Monaco are five points off Paris Saint-Germain at the moment. Yeah. Um, so, you know, huge, huge game for Claudio Ranieri if he has any hopes of capturing what would be an astonishing um, title in France this season. Quickly, the battle for third is getting interesting. Lille were beaten at Nice and, and Saint-Étienne won again, this time 3-0 at Valenciennes. Yeah, I think a, a lot of people, are, you know, I think we've chatted about this all, quite excited at the idea of having Saint-Étienne in the Champions League again. Particularly if Liverpool got, got back in the Champions League um, 
next season as well. Imagine those two teams. We'll have got to bring David Fairclough out of retirement. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, he'd be on every TV channel <laughs> for about a week, wouldn't yeah. he? Like he, he's praying that happens. Um, uh, Lille, yeah, they've just dropped off a little bit. Have been defensively so sound, um, but a defeat in Nice. So it's uh, Saint and even Marseille. They're a little bit off the pace, but still in the hunt for top three spot. Marseille fans really not happy with the team at the moment. Um, but if they can get into the Champions League, that might relieve the pressure a little bit on the players. OK, we'll take a break there and we'll be back talking about Italy and Portugal in a moment. This is Planet Football on City Talk 105.9 with John Bradley and with Rob Daly. Planet Football on City Talk 105.9. Welcome back. John Bradley on Planet Football with Rob Daly guiding you through European football, the transfer window, the world outside Europe as well. We have looked at Spain, Germany and France and now we will focus on a particularly strange league, not in the respect of who's winning it at the moment, but the Italian league is getting very, very peculiar. We'll start with the main business of the weekend. It was the the big game in Italy. It's seen as the game that the whole of Italy stops for, really, the Derby d'Italia between Juventus and Internazionale. Yeah, um, Juventus um, taking on Inter on Sunday night and beating them very, very comfortably into making some absolutely horrific defensive mistakes to allow um, Lichsteiner, Chiellini and Vidal to all score. Mm. Inter did pull one back um, sort of 18 minutes from the end, I think, through Rolando, but ultimately they were um, pretty ineffective. Automatari is rebuilding that into squad. It's nothing like the team that Jose Mourinho had four years ago. Matari's Doing reasonably well, actually, I think, and to re-establish Inter as a... There was speculation that he was going to get sacked after that game as well, wasn't there? I think very hard Mm. on him. I actually do think he's doing an okay job. And if you look to the squad, he got left. It was, you know, like being so dependent on Palacio and I just thought it was very weak indeed. They've done well. They kept, like, Renocchia and... Um, that was important to them. And their team bus was attacked by um, fans ahead of the game, so that probably didn't help them either mm. ahead of a huge, huge match. Diego Melito almost got into a little bit of a barney with some of his own players because um, they, wouldn't, they, they weren't going to throw their shirts into the Inter fans at the end of the game, and he had to bark at them. It was all over TV. Look, come over, throw your shirts into the crowd. They've travelled all this way. We've got beaten. The least we could do is um, throw our shirts to them. So... Um, maybe not all happy at Inter, but I still think in the hunt for um, European football for, for for next season, certainly. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, I mean, obviously, with, with Tevez and Llorente up front, you expect them to get on the score sheet, but Licksteiner, Vidal and Chiellini scored. Vidal's now scored more goals this season than he has in any other season, uh, and I think you penned him down as perhaps the best midfielder in the world, haven't you? He's, he's certainly one of the best. Uh, in Europe at the moment and I, I actually think he's the man who could sort out Manchester United's midfield at the moment you know I, I, I think if anyone can he, he'd be the type of player who could easily fit in and start adding goals to Man United's midfield because they certainly seem barren in that department he, pops, he just pops up in the right place he makes those right time runs mm. a bit like Lampard just seems to you know pick up a loose ball and, and find the back of the net he's confident with set pieces he steps up for the penalties uh, he's got a little bit of everything, and, and as we already mentioned, Juve don't quite have the financial spending power of a lot of Europe's big clubs. They've got a job on to keep Arturo Vidal at the football club, to be honest. Yeah, without um, a shadow. But Juve, world, world clear, you know, nine points clear at the top. I was um, watching. I was watching the game, right, and, and 
my tweet after the goal said, he's a genius. He could open a tin of peas with that right foot. What right, moment was about, I talking about? You're talking about Pirlo's pass for Lichsteiner, <laughs> yes. which was breathtakingly good. Um, he, he was, he, he was he, central, 35 yeah. yards from goal, and Licksteiner made his run from right wing back. He does such a good job in that in that role for yeah. them. But he made the run and he just floated it onto his head with pace so that Licksteiner, all he had to do was meet the ball, head it, and it was a goal. Yeah, it was like he crossed it from a central position. Yeah. And um, it was absolutely spot on. And Pirlo, you know, I, I, it's probably the best bit of business done in Italian football over the past five, ten years. Yeah. In Juve, seeing that Pirlo was up for grabs on a free um, and nabbed him. Because he has been first name on the team sheet. I'm sure he still is. And he's just absolutely pivotal to everything um, they do at the moment. And... Again, at the weekend, got the big opener. It's all about that first goal, wasn't it? 16 minutes when Lichtsteiner scored. It was vitally important and Pirlo effectively made it. It's rubbish. I mean, it's strange, really, because Chiellini's rubbish. Do you think I, he's rubbish? I think he's rubbish. I think Why he's, do you think that? I think, I, I, I think technically he's awful. I don't think he's a great defender. Yeah, you know, he's the captain, isn't he? And, and plays for Italy. And I just think he's, I don't know. I think that he's an accident waiting to happen every game. Well, he's a nutter. I mean, <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I mean, he is an absolute nutter. But, and he also, he does score goals. It's really, mm. he does score these important goals because tight games can often be decided by set pieces and he's such a good threat for them. Uh, you know, he scored mm. one at the weekend. I do like Chiellini, mm. but he can be, he can be a liability because he's a bit insane. <laughs> um, so... Uh, but they do have the, uh, essentially a, a fantastic squad at mm. Juve now. Just keeping it together is going to be the big thing for them. They've signed Osvaldo on loan. But I, speaking uh, I of nutters. Yes, yeah, speaking of which. <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't, he's, look, uh, Llorente and Tevez are the front two for mm. Juve now. Um, he's not going to get a tremendous amount more game time than he was getting... Almost no. said at the Dell then at St Mary's. <laughs> I keep saying the Dell because I think it's funny, and then it actually creeps into my football talk. So nine <laughs> points is the gap at the moment. It opened up after an absolute farce in the Olympico in the Eternal City. Uh, Roma and Parma, bless them, tried to have a game of football in a swimming pool. Yeah, the pitch was absolutely horrendous. Um, ball wouldn't move. Um, so eventually, it was decided. How long did they actually get through? Because I watched it for I ten could... minutes and turned it off. I think it was a bit. It was longer than that. Yeah, yeah. I, it was definitely I, I like it was thirty. Yeah, thirty minutes certain. or so. Yeah. Um, and then they just went, yeah, this is daft, and you could. Eat. I loved it though because you don't you don't get this in English football. Like the referee was deciding um, whether to to continue the game, standing there with an umbrella next to Francesco Totti, and a dude with a cigar was there on the touchline as well. Shook the referee's hand to right, yeah, we're not going to play. A cigar in the stadium, <laughs> just outrageous from the Italians. Um, and probably the right decision. Roma, to have a game in hand on Juve mm. now, nine points behind them. I still don't think they can catch Juve. Two big defeats. Uh, Napoli losing, and they were gubbed at Atalanta as well. Absolutely gubbed. And Fiorentina's loss at Cagliari made even more costly because Napoli went on to get gubbed the day after. Yeah, Napoli... Um, uh, what was Benitez Rafa doing, by the way? He left resting. all his players out. Yeah, he left out. Iguain and Hamshik, I, I think he was pretty confident they could get a result without him. And uh, three huge individual errors. One of them, 
uh, Pepe Reina made mm. another mistake, um, and you know, gifting um, Atlanta a three-nil win. It was a real gift from Napoli. And you look at it now. I mean, Napoli were the second best team in it- in mm. Italy last season, and evidently, yeah, they've lost Cavani, but they're 15 points off the pace now. And Benitez's attitude in the transfer window was to go out and just sign a load more players. He did sign a lot in the summer. I think maybe he's just not quite sure um, what he's working with at the moment. I think it's going to take him a little while to probably settle in. If he gets him into the Champions League, his job's absolutely fine. Uh, you know, I'm sure of that. And if he can do anything in the Europa League, then maybe he could, um, you know, cement his place in their history a little bit, listen, bit more. Listen, he tried to sign Lee Catamore last week. Well, is that true? Well, apparently. It, it, I, mean, I, I, I can't it. believe it. No, I mean... No. Speaking speaking of players who went, by the way, uh, Fiorentina lost to Cagliari. Business as normal for Anderson from Manchester United being on the losing side. Uh, I've not uh, seen I've not seen his debut, but I'm told he wasn't great. Well, I've just because I haven't seen the Fiorentina game back, but I've looked at something and reports said he played at left back. Now, can that be right? Is it the same Anderson? <laughs> I don't know what's happened there. Um, but, yeah, let's see if he can do anything in his time in Italy. By the way, he has denied that he said Man United players want out. There were quotes mm. attributed to Anderson saying a lot of Manchester United players actually want to leave now. Uh, he says he never gave that interview and it's all complete nonsense and said, um, you know, he, he very much still appreciates Manchester United. Uh, well, he's still a Manchester United player. He's got exactly. to say that. That's um, why you have to say it. Milan are 10th. They signed Adel Tarap last week. I saw that Michael Essien was an unused substitute as they drew 1-1 with Torino. Torino's goal scorer, the best-named centre-forward in the world, Chiro Immobile. Immobile. <laughs> and yes, Adel, yes. Adel, as Adel, some people were calling him when he first came on the scene. And uh, Adel Rami scored for Milan, but they're just... I mean, why sign Tarap? Yeah, I'm. I mean, I really am. I mean, we've. I think we've even chatted before about. I don't think Honda's particularly going to light up. Um, you know, San Siro. I really don't. Uh, and then they sign another sort of attacking midfield player. I do think Tarat probably, if he goes to a big club, maybe it can bring the best out of him. You know, Milan brought the best out of a very mm. underachieving Kevin Prince Berteng mm. when he went there. He hadn't done anything of note really on, on the club stage, and then. He suddenly became into this world-beating midfield player. Maybe to wrap to the right people around him, uh, like Mario Balotelli, he can, uh, <laughs> he can flourish. Oh, unbelievable. Uh, let's move on quickly, talk about what happened in Portugal at the weekend, because it is getting interesting. Uh, but none of the top three won. Benfica are two points clear after a 1-1 draw at Gil Vicente. Uh, Sporting missed the chance to join them at the top. They drew with Academica. And Porto fell to another defeat after going two seasons unbeaten, this time at Maritimo in Funchal on the island of Madeira. A real chance for Porto to catch up with mm. Sporting and Benfica. You know, we'll wait a real Wasted chance in their view, but as we've talked about on the show before, Porto, you know, a little bit gutted in the summer in that two of their star players uh, moved on. Um, you know, they're still trying to work out their best team, I think, a little bit. Cause it the has two, boy, the two boys who Manchester City tried to sign on bo- on deadline day both played uh, the other day as well, didn't they? Mangala and uh, the other chap. I forgot and Fernando. Name. Fernando, sorry, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's, I, we'll wait and see if that should. I think that I think it will certainly go back in for Mangala in the 
in the summer. Um, but, you know, Porto just not looking particularly effective domestically. They have been so dominant. Um, I personally think it'd be great if Benfica did manage to uh, to win themselves the title. Although a little unsavoury is the fact that they've sold two players to an investment company, Andres Gomes, who is a super little talent, and Rodrigo, the centre-forward, for 40-odd million euros. Yeah, we're starting to see this more and more. And um, so before, I mean, football clubs are now, you know, players are businesses. They're individual businesses within businesses, within football clubs. And we're now having this thing. We've got the Neymar transfer saga being talked about rather publicly where his dad cashed in a lot of the money from the transfer deal because the company Neymar and Neymar owned Neymar's rights. Um, we've got the thing in Portugal now with uh, Mercado and uh, Gomez being mm. owned by private companies. Uh, the defence in Portugal, uh, from clubs in Portugal, is that, well, this is how we survive. We, we get these very talented players in. We own a, a percentage of them. We sell that percentage on to, uh, you know, your Atleticos, your Barcelona's, your Real Madrid in Spain, Portugal, a logical stepping stone from South America. However, this is a bit different because Benfica have actively sold rights they already had. Mm. And that's why this has uh, sparked some alarm in that it's the club actually proactively involving a third party as opposed to a third party already having uh, an investment in a player and then clubs trying to get a bit of that. It's a weird one, um, but it's how they survive, that's what they say. And the reason they did it, of course, is because, quite simply, they're €800 million in debt. (laughs) Astonishing, isn't it? I I mean, you know, there's so much debt on the continent now that maybe you... I I, I don't know the answer. Whether, Whether all these clubs just have to do this and then these investment companies, these third, third party owners, they just keep their share, the stock keeps rising until they sell to a Paris Saint Germain, Manchester City, Chelsea, uh, where money is no object, and then they cash in. You know, the debt, I, there's so much debt across the continent. You know, I, everyone's just trying to find solutions to it. It's because everyone's overspending, overspending in every single department. Uh, it's just a bit of a shame, really, isn't it? It is, it is. Right, that's us, Paul. We're all done. We are out of time for another edition of Planet Football. Super insight into uh, what's been going on in Europe. Uh, Brilliant to have uh, Rob Daly on, as always, our expert from me, John Bradley. We will see you in a couple of weeks as we start to count down towards the resumption, of course, of the Champions League and the Europa League. This is Planet Football with John Bradley. City Talk 105.9.